Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hey, Dave. Yeah, Randy. Since we founded Bombas, we've always said our socks, underwear, and T-shirts are super soft. Any new ideas? Maybe sublimely soft. Or disgustingly cozy. Wait, what? I got it. Bombas. Absurdly comfortable essentials for yourself and for those facing homelessness. Because one purchased equals one donated. Wow, did we just write an ad? Yes. Bombus. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombus.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, Right. For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Yasu. Hello, everyone. I'm in Athens in Greece, my favorite place in the world. And whilst here, I've been making contacts with Greek artists who have made waves around the world and some Greek artists who are making waves here. And um, I think they might be of real interest to you. And the first one is Alex Antaeus. Now, he just won a Grammy for his work with Julia Marley on Colours of Royal. Alex had a dream when he was 14 about going to America, to Los Angeles. That dream expanded. He went from Los Angeles to New York to Jamaica met Julian Marley, and over a lifetime, now in his 60s, he ended up winning a fantastic achievement, Best Grammy Award for the album Colours of Royal with Julian Marley. I will never dance dance hall like a Jamaican would dance dance hall, same way like a Jamaican could dance a Zebekiko or a Hasapiko. Don't go away, because within seconds, that interview with Alex Antares is coming up. But I want to ask you to subscribe. It helps me and it allows you to find out when I posted something new on the channel. Now, over the coming weeks and months, I'll be interviewing more Greek artists alongside the other interviews that I regularly do for this channel. So here it is. He's in Kingston, Jamaica. I'm in Athens in Greece. This is Alex Antares. <laughs> Well, Alex Antaeus, welcome. Of course, I'm in your original homeland, Greece, in Athens. I am, not in Patras, but in Athens. And uh, you are in uh, the place... Yeah, you're in Jamaica, in Kingston, the centre of uh, the reggae world. So, yes, welcome. And I want to say, first of all, congratulations, because it's, it's an immense thing uh, to win a Grammy. And you won the Grammy, of course, with Julia Marley. Um, for Colours of Royal, for the best reggae album. First of all, when you heard your name in that hall as a winner, what went through your mind? Well, um, obviously, it's a sigh, it's a sigh of, of relief because whether you win or lose, it's still about the music. 
and the message the music has to send. And within the academy, we say, even a nomination is a win. Because who is to say out of these five projects that got nominated, which one is better or worse? But it's that relief. Okay, I don't have to deal with losing. <laughs> me, that particular moment was a bittersweet moment because I wanted Julian to be there. I wanted Julian and I to walk up there together for him to hold his first Grammy. Unfortunately, he was in Australia asleep when it happened because it was in the middle of the night in Australia. He was there for touring. So basically, eventually we got him up to tell him that he won. <laughs> you talked to him direct, I presume. And I yes. just wondered what you said to each other at that moment. Well, Julian is a very humble and simple person. He's not like the person who's going to get excited and start. He says, okay, great. Yeah. It's still about the music. That's his type. It's still about the music. You know, the, you know, we appreciate people recognizing our hard work, but he's not one who's going to have a huge celebration, even though we did have a huge celebration finally two nights ago here in Kingston which was the first time that him and I have been together uh, in months. And uh, they threw a nice party for us in Kingston. They called it uh, the Grammy win party. And we finally had that uh, experience. What was the reaction of the locals to the, to the, to the win and the people that had been involved? I'm, I'm well known here because I've owned businesses in Jamaica before. So uh, people... I'm comfortable with the people here, their friends, even the photographers and the reporters from the newspapers that came by, they all know me from before the Grammy. Um, there is always a say that if a Marley is in the running, a Marley is gonna win because of the last name. So we had some serious interviews here because I had to, read, to set the record straight that, uh, uh, Frequently, the Marlies win because they put in the hard work, both in making the music and in marketing the music. So, and proof that a Marley doesn't always win is four years ago, uh, Julian was nominated again on a, on a different project. And that was the year that a young Jamaican girl by the name of Coffee won the Grammy. So that's proof. If a Marley always wins, why didn't he win four years ago? So, but it's been fun, you know, it's it's exciting. A lot of the people in Jamaica who knew me as the as Alex, uh, AKA Mr. Opa, which was the name of one of my restaurants here. Uh, so um, a lot were surprised to see that side of me because many knew me as Opa, the guy who owned the restaurants and the bars. Some have heard that Alex also does music, but not many had not realized the extent of my involvement in music. Yeah, I want so, to come to that later. And I also want okay. to come to the album with, with Julia Marley and talk specifically about, about some of the tracks on that, uh, on that album. But I want to start with something that obviously in your childhood forms you in a lot of ways. And a lot of influences and things open up from your childhood that eventually uh, pay off in your adult life. And you were born in Patras in Greece. And I just wondered what your first connection to music was and what was your life as a young boy in Greece? Well, I was born in Patras, but I do not know Patras because my parents moved when I was still a baby to Athens. So 
if you ask me what's my hometown, I would say Athens. Uh, and um, I consider myself a, a Peloponnesian simply because I was born in Patras. Uh, my, my father's and mother's roots come from money. I'm sure you heard of money. Uh, and uh, Ilia, where, you know, where the first Olympics, you know, uh, took place. As a matter of fact, my mom still lives in Ilia. Uh, even though she frequently spends time with me in New York or in Jamaica, and she loves Jamaica, but she lives in Ilia. So, uh, yes, I'm a Peloponnesian, but Athens is where I grew up. Athens is where I went to school. Athens is where I started listening to music. And uh, one of my favorite uh, artists when I was a kid in Greece was Bob Marley, interestingly enough. <laughs> and um, uh, I liked what we call these days classic rock. My favorite rock band was Deep Purple. Oh, wow. <laughs> and still is, you know, from that era. Uh, but also like disco a lot and uh, a lot of the funk, the James Brown stuff, the BT Express and all that kind of stuff. Um, and I left Greece when I was young. I remember when I was 14, I used to keep a journal. And in the journal, I had drawn the map of California, actually hand-drawn. And, and in Los Angeles, where I put Los Angeles, I had put a red arrow. So when I was 17 and I left Greece, I, I ended up in LA. I guess it was kind of prophetic that at 14, I had a journal that said Los Angeles because... I graduated from university in Los Angeles. I had the recording studio in Los Angeles. So I had my the beginnings of my music career in Los Angeles. And eventually I won the Grammy in Los Angeles. You know, you're, you've drawn this map and you're you're looking at the, you know, the future in terms of where you might go. Um, but it's quite a pull for someone of a young age to be taken away to another country. No, that wasn't No, that didn't uh, move my parents. I, moved, I left Greece alone. Oh wow, that's that's an incredibly brave move. So you're, yeah, you're you've been a you've been a risk taker in your life, haven't you? Yes, uh, I left I left Chris by myself against my mother's wishes, but of course, mom always tried to raise me in ways that I can make my own decisions. At the time, my mother owned a couple of uh, optical stores in Athens, so she says, "Look, we'll have a business here, you and me." My father was long gone from the picture by then. Um, so mom says, we'll have this. I said, mom, I need to explore. This feels too small for me. So I, yeah, I went, I went to the U.S. by myself. How was the first period in the U.S. for you? Because obviously when you go to another country, you are an outsider in another country. And sometimes that process of sort of getting in can be not only slow, it can be difficult. And I just wondered how you experienced that. Having the Greek, the heavy Greek accent, which I have still kept, uh, I made that decision that I didn't want to lose my accent. I wanted to sound like I'm not from here. <laughs> um, uh, that occasionally was an issue. People, you know, a lot of Americans, especially back in those days, uh, were not comfortable with uh, interacting with someone that didn't sound like them. So, but eventually, you know, that uh, at the same time, there was a, a lot of migration in the in the US from Iran, from Persia. 
because that was right after the revolution, there were a lot of Persians. So you also had a lot of other foreigners uh, been all over uh, the scene. Um, and it was LA. LA was more used to foreigners from Asia. If it was New York, where I live now, it would have been easier because the Greeks are there and they, you know, they're expecting, you know, you're part of that community. But in LA, there isn't, at the time, there wasn't really a huge Greek community. So, but it's, so it was okay. I, I, I've learned in my life, I keep on going. It's, I, I do things and afterwards I think if I did the right thing as opposed to thinking <laughs> first. <laughs> you mentioned Deep Purple and um, you also mentioned Marley. When I was a teenager, my idol was David Bowie because he represented a world in where I felt like I could belong. It was sort of more than the music. Was was music also a world of belonging for you? I'm not sure I, I can answer that, but music was my life from an early age. I started classical guitar. I didn't stay with it for too long against my mother wishes again. <laughs> um, uh, I did the, my studies very young, about 12, 13, or a couple of years, and then I said, eh, next. So next was uh, hanging with my friends and playing billiards. And then the U.S. The U.S. I tried to remain focused, you know, going to school. Uh, it wasn't easy. I uh, worked, I went to school during the day and worked at nights. But eventually I got my degree, which so far it has only served the purpose of decorating my mother's living room. <laughs> oh, dear. In my field of, 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 in my profession, having a degree isn't really something that you, you use to get a production or to do something. However, the knowledge you acquire while going through school is a stepping stone to get there. But the degree itself is not going to get you hired. The experience, particularly of moving to another country for anyone, I think at a young age, changes and, and develops them. How do you feel you changed and developed in the first years of being in America? Oh, I don't know. I'm still trying to figure it out. I'm still trying. I'm still I'm still growing. I still feel like in my, I'm, I'm in my 20s. Okay, <laughs> let's have a good time. You mentioned Bob Marley and 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 you said that you listened to Bob Marley when you were in Greece and obviously when you were in America, Bob Marley was um, at his height. And yes. I just wondered what Marley at that time represented for you because obviously for Jamaicans you know he's a, a godlike figure that uh, that represented so much more you know freedom and and peace and beauty and and everything really so I just wonder when you were young what he represented for you and what you liked about the music two two important things first of all the voice of the people because through his songs through his uh uh, music and through his interviews and what he said, it was about representing the people in the struggle for uh, a better world that is embraced by all through love. Uh, so for me, at the young age, Bob was a, revol a revolutionary that spoke for the people uh, against the oppression, against uh, the the few powerful people that control the world. 
at the rest at the rest of our expense. So that's what Bob represents, and still does. And in my opinion, Bob should become uh, a national hero in Jamaica. Jamaica has uh, national heroes, um, and uh, there is a National Hero Day, and there is a movement that Bob needs to become the next national hero, because those national heroes represent uh, some people from a couple of hundred years ago, and including a couple of the prime ministers, the first prime ministers of Jamaica when Jamaica became independent in 1962. So it's time for Bob to become uh, uh, you know, a national hero, yes. You became a DJ in LA, um, and it seems to me that many of your career choices or the route that you took is a sort of zigzag. Um, to where you are now but each of them has some sort of connection to where you've ended up which is really fascinating so how did you become a um a dj in, in in la and how did you eventually become the best dj in la well um like everything else in in life it's a you take steps that lead you somewhere sometimes there is a plan Sometimes there is no plan. And sometimes it's hard to have plans because nobody knows what tomorrow brings. But when I was in college, I used to work at nights uh, at a nightclub in Beverly Hills and I was a bouncer. So that's when I was bigger and stronger. <laughs> and um, I used to go to the DJ booth and there was a guy by the name of Mario Gonzalez. I still remember the name. And I was so fascinated with him turning the knobs of the mixing console and the two turntables, and I would just watch him. And then a couple of times he showed me, and I said, okay, I can do this. So I, I had some friends that own clubs. I said, hey, I want to do this. So at first it was a disaster. Eventually I figured out how to mix, and uh, uh, we're talking about the days of turntables and vinyl records. So that led to me getting working at some of the best nightclubs in Los Angeles and eventually winning the best DJ in LA award. I think that was like 1992 or something like that. Still, you know, I was still very young. Being a disc jockey led to me becoming a billboard reporter. Back then, billboard used to have the weekly dance charts, which were compiled by 100 disc jockeys at key markets and key nightclubs around the US and I was one of those 100 and that, those were the days that the record label used to pamper everyone and uh, uh, you, you know so it was like you know whatever Alex wants gets because we need him to be reporting our records so that led to labels trusting me with remixes doing club remixes so that's how I slowly got from a disc jockey to remix into production. When you got into production, and you've obviously produced um, your own music, which has a lot of different influences on it, uh, sort of world influences, and also from religion, there's there's lots of different things in your music, which is also uh, very fascinating. What do you think, as a producer, you have become, and an artist, you have become to understand about working with other artists? First of all, let's clarify my label as an artist, which exists because I have released music with my name on, but uh, a lot of people, when they think of an artist, they think someone who's gonna go on stage and perform. Uh, that, that's definitely not the type of artist I am. I don't 
do that. That's not my style. Um, what you, my projects are what you would call studio projects. Uh, and that's where I'm comfortable to, to make, produce, create. For me, an artist in music is anyone who creates art. It's not just, you know, many of the so-called artists are performing artists. I'm not a performing artist. So um, as a producer, especially when you do production for other people, you have to remember that it is not your project. It is the artist's project. So your goal is to get the best out of the artist, not to tell him what to do. So that's how I approach production. So with Julian, for example, since, since it's recent and since this is the Grammy that we're talking about, it was never about telling Julian what to do. It was always a, about presenting ideas to Julian and allowing him to see how he fit there and how he can take it to a next level, especially with this project, because Julian is what we call a roots reggae artist similar to his father and his previous projects are more roots reggae well this is not roots reggae what we did it's very electronic and it utilizes reggae dancehall afrobeat reggaeton dembo uh, in in one amalgamation of of genres uh, and that was my idea i said julian let's turn the chapter and create a new um version if we can call that uh, of reggae that might be more palatable by many people out there. First of all, just going back a little bit, because I, I will come back to Julian, but the, what actually got you to Jamaica? Because, um, uh -huh. you know... Had nothing are... to do with music. Well, Had I know nothing to do with music. Opa, you mentioned yeah. it before. <laughs> that, was, that, was a, that was a coincidence. Me getting in bars and restaurants in Jamaica was not a plan either. So let me get to that. After many years in LA, I went back to Greece for a while. I That's when I did Byzantine Meditation, which became a fairly big song and still is to this day. People love it and hear it, even though most people don't know it's me, because it was never promoted as an Antaeus. It was promoted as a song. Uh, so back to Greece for a few years, that's where I met uh, Andreas Yatrakos, uh, who is the owner today of Sona Records in Greece. Uh, and uh, to this day, we are friends and we have collaborated on projects. And he was even involved in one of the songs, uh, in one of the songs with the Julian project. So a little bit back in Greece, then New York. So at about the same time that I came back to the U.S. and I established my roots now in New York, I've had enough of LA, I've had my 15 years in LA, time to go from the West Coast to the East Coast. I started dating a Jamaican girl in New York. So that led me to taking trips to Kingston because New York to Kingston is a three and a half hour flight. It's less than going to London from Athens. So it's a quick little flight. It takes more time to get to the airport and go through security than the flight itself. Um, I liked it there. It was the vibe was nice, so I was looking for reasons to spend more time there. So I decided to start a business. Now you're gonna laugh. I started a chicken farm. 
So I became, I was even a, I even got a certificate in Jamaica. I was a certified chicken farmer. Don't I look like a chicken farmer? <laughs> the idea was that I would have a chicken farm there. A friend of mine, a Jamaican friend of mine that I knew from New York would be running it. And I'll kind of keep an eye on things and occasionally go there to oversee things. Well, that failed because it required my presence for a business to run properly. So I spent a year and a half in Jamaica, in the middle of nowhere, waking up to to, to uh, chicken doo-doo every day. And taking that, you know, you open the window and right below you have the chicken coops and you open the window and it's like, ah, familiar smell. <laughs> so that was a year and a half and I just couldn't take it anymore. Even though I had my equipment there and I was writing music while the chickens were down there, um, I decided to sell that and I almost went back to New York and giving up on Jamaica, but I said, no, I like it here. What do I do? I'm Greek. What do Greeks do when they're outside of Greece? They open restaurants. <laughs> so I opened a restaurant. I wanted to call it something unique, but my Jamaican business partner and all of my Jamaican friends at the time, once the name Opa was suggested, I said, that's it. It's easy for Jamaicans to say, it has a nice sound to it, and it's Greece. But for me, being a Greek, it was like, uh, Opa, what, you know, it, I'm tired of that name. There are like a million Opa restaurants around the world, but end up being Opa, and it became an overnight success. I'm talking about the who is who. There was no other Greek restaurant. There's no Greek community in Jamaica. To this day, there are no Greeks here. There's like a handful of Greeks. So it became an overnight success. The who is who of Jamaica from the prime minister, uh, ministers, business people, Usain Bolt, all the famous, you know, the Marley family people, they became my friends and my customers. And uh, we used to break plates. To this day, to this day, and I've closed the business two years now. If you're somewhere in a restaurant and a, and a glass or a plate breaks, people start saying, Opa! So I've created that kind of a vibe here. And I became almost like a an unofficial Greek ambassador. Because there is no Greek consulate here. There is no Greek community, nothing. So the police and the authorities knowing me well because of my businesses, whenever there was a problem with a Greek going through Jamaica, a Greek lost his passport, a Greek was on vacation and got in a car accident, whatever, I would get a call. Uh, Alex, we have a Greek in the hospital. Alex, we have a Greek who has been arrested. Alex, there is a Greek sailor and he's lost in Jamaica. So I became that go-to person. Uh, uh, and the, the offer was also made to become an honorary Greek counselor here. Uh, but it never materialized. I, ne I never pursued it. Um, but I was happy that I could help fellow Greeks that were going through Even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable. That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince? They exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns. 
millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Don't go away. More of Alex Antares coming up where we talk about the music on the album. Now, of course, over the coming weeks and months, I'll be showing you more Greek artists alongside the regular interviews. But I want to ask you something. Please subscribe. It will allow you to hear first when I've posted something on the channel. And also, it helps me. Okay, let's get back to that interview with Alex Antaeus, who's in Kingston, Jamaica. And also, in this restaurant, you, well, you hadn't lost your connection to music, obviously, because so, in this restaurant was in the back room was a studio, I understand. I or built a studio. You built a studio. So uh, the idea was, okay, I'm putting this seven days a week, early morning to late night into this restaurant because I'm very hands-on. I have to be here and sure the, uh, the, the deliveries are made in the morning, the food is cooked, my customers are happy when they come to eat. And it was nearly impossible to do music by going back to New York one week a month or every two months. So I built a studio, a fairly nice studio. As a matter of fact, the first two songs from Julian's album were recorded in that studio in Jamaica. And some of the equipment you see behind here came from that studio when I closed it. So it's right now it's in one of the rooms of my apartment where it serves more as a production studio where I get ideas and work on them before they go in, we go into a bigger studio. Um, but still, even though we had the studio right there, it was very hard to focus on music because music is not just making a, a song, it's marketing. 80% of music these days is marketing. It's, you can have a great song without marketing, nobody's gonna hear it. You can have a mediocre song with great marketing, it might become a hit. So it became extremely difficult for me to focus on music while I was running a restaurant. And it wasn't just a restaurant. Eventually, we opened a second restaurant right next to it and a bar club. And it became my so-called Friday nights became famous. The line was like two hours long to get in. And if you were not on the guest list, you were not getting in that type of a place. And that kept me up until four or five, six in the morning to come back at nine to ensure everything was fine. So coming out of the COVID era that we all suffered with, I was tired, I was burned out. Uh, I, I had lost a lot of money and uh, physically and psychologically, it had a toll on me trying to keep the restaurant going through COVID because there was no support. Like in the US, Restaurants were given some serious support from the government. There was no support here. So not only there was no support, but we had some serious curfews of like 6 p.m., 7 p.m., 8 p.m., constantly changing. So how are you going to have a, a, a nightclub and a restaurant 
uh, not succeed, survive when you have to close at 7 p.m. because everybody had to be home by 7 p.m. So coming out of COVID, I survived COVID. And I said, no, it's I'm giving this up because it's 100% music. So if I hadn't given up the restaurant, which is exactly two years ago, February of 2022, I don't think we'll be talking about the Grammy right now. But you met Julian through the restaurant, didn't you? Wasn't he? You said that the the Marleys right. were coming into right. the restaurant. Tell me about your initial meeting and what that led to. I knew a couple of his siblings, Sedella, the older sister, and Rohan, another one of the siblings. I knew them as friends and customers from before. I had never met Julian. One night he came in to my famous Friday nightclub and uh, a common friend introduced us this is julian marley this is alex the proprietor here so we started talking and i said you know i have a studio here why don't you take a look at it so we walked into the studio and i started playing him some ideas some some tracks i had written so i could see that he was getting into them and he liked them so i said this one i want to do with you and that was a song the tide is high. Uh, and that was the first song we recorded together before we had even thought of an album. It was just a single. And to me, that song was significant because most people think the tide is high is Blondie from 1980, which is an American rock band, as you know, and it became a number one record worldwide. However, that song is not a Blondie song. That is a late 60s reggae song uh, from a guy called John Holt and the group Paragons. So I said, Julian, I want to bring this song back to Jamaica. I started in Jamaica. It became famous because of Blondie. Let's bring it back home. And he says, interestingly enough, John Holt, I, you know, I'm close to him because growing up as a child, I used to call him Uncle John. So it was that idea, okay, we're bringing... The tide is high back to Jamaica and let the world know that this is actually a Jamaican song, not a Blondie song. The idea of meeting a Mali and for you to then work with them and have, you know, this name is such an iconic name in the world of music, an absolutely iconic name in the world of music. And I just wondered if you felt any pressure because of the name, not of Julian, but because of the name that was there? No, because I've always been comfortable with anything in life. And um, I consider it an honor to be working with a Marley, of course, but the pressure wasn't there. And uh, especially with Julian, because he's simple and humble. There is no attitude. Uh, sometimes the Marleys have to create a distance because everyone is constantly approaching them because they want a little bit of the Marley magic. You know, they want to give them a business idea. They want to give them a music idea. They want, so, there's, so as a family, they have to be very protective because the entire world is constantly trying to get some of that Marley magic that they have had to work very hard to protect because when Bob died, they were broke. There was no money. The Marley kids 
were barely surviving. It was eventually through fighting and court cases and legal action that a lot of the staff start coming back to the family for them to be able to, as a family and as individuals, whether it was Ziggy or Damian or any of the other siblings were able to build the brand again. But it wasn't a magic moment where, oh, Bob dies and we're overnight millionaires. No, others were controlling that empire. So the family had to work very hard and fight in courts to get that back. And it was hard too because of the Rastafarian religion, there was no will from Bob saying, you get this, you get this, you get this, you get this. That's, that, that's against the, you know, the Rasta's belief to write a, a will. Hopefully they've changed that now and <laughs> all these Marlies have wills, but, um, so it was a very tough battle for them and uh, they have to protect that. You know, everybody is like, hi, I have an, a business idea. All I need is the Marley name in it. Hi, I have a brand new uh, album I wrote for you. All I want is one of the Marleys to sing it. So from that perspective, they are very protective, but Julian is simple, is humble. And him and I are more friends than just a producer artist. Whenever we meet someone in life, we learn something from them. What do you feel? What do you feel Julian learned from you? He learned to trust me because our backgrounds are a little bit different. You know, he's more of the live music, guitar, bass, drums, uh, you know, musician. I'm more like I'm in the studio making electronic stuff. So he learned to trust me that I have certain ideas that I think that can work. Uh, and I learned a lot from him too, because he's a, contrary to what people say that, oh, he's a Marley, he's all right. You know, he's he's gonna get attention because he's a Marley, which is true. But at the same time, he's an incredible musician. He plays several instruments, guitar, bass, drums, keyboards, percussion. He plays several instruments. He's He has great stage presence. So he's not just a Marley, he's a great artist. So I learned a lot from him. And in the process, whenever I did things that maybe were not to his liking, he had a very respectful way of saying, let's try this instead, as opposed to saying, no, I don't like it. It's let's try this instead. So it was, it was a great experience. And still is. I mean, him and I are very close and we're talking about things and there are ideas that we are developing for potential future things. So yeah, it's a great experience. You mentioned... Um... The Tide is High, the John Holt uh, cover that is on the album. Um, but there are some immense other new tracks on that album, Inner Mood, which is one that I completely love, and Roll. Um, yeah. Can you tell me a little bit about the making of, of those tracks and what you feel you brought to those? Well, uh, I should start by saying other producers were involved in some of the tracks. Uh, if you look at the credits on some of the songs, I am listed as the only producer. On some, of, I am listed along with somebody else. Uh, no person other than myself had more than a song that they co-produced with me. But I had some great producers that work with me. Um, so let's see. Roll is one of my favorites. I like the lyrics. And 
the rhythm of that song was was developed together with Andreas Yatrakos in Greece. So that is his contribution. In a mood was developed together with a guy called Prince Production, who is actually a Persian guy. Uh, well, born in the U.S., but of Persian Persian uh, parents. Um, what else? Tides High are produced by myself. My favorite one is called Made for Your Love. Made for Your Love, as a matter of fact, it's the fastest growing song on the album without having done any promotion on it yet. And we're finally going to release a video for that song next week. And that's going to be probably the last release from this album. Um, Made for Your Love, I love it because it's a, it's a typical dancehall beat with Julian's voice over it. So that, that one is dancehall it doesn't have reggaeton it doesn't have afrobeat it doesn't it's pure dancehall like all what we call old school dancehall what attracts you about dancehall because you mentioned just before we started talking you mentioned the painting behind you i can't or the, yeah. i can't actually see it so clearly but the painting behind you of dancehall so i just wondered what your sort of deep attraction to this type of music has been dancehall first of all it has a very nice rhythm uh, there was um, um, a Saba Ranks, you know, an old dancehall DJ who still does it, a song called uh, Dembo, okay? And that became the basis of reggaeton music and the basis of what in Dominican Republic they call Dembo music, they even uses the name, okay? So the rhythm itself, it leads to a great movement of the body. That's why you have all the dance hall moves of the girls in front of the guys whining and the guy, you know, doing most of the moves and the guy just standing behind. So if you think about it, even Afrobeat, the way the snare drums are hitting, they're based a lot on dance hall. So a lot of the music that we are enjoying today, especially reggaeton, that because of the whole Latin explosion of reggaeton, it's just about from Bad Bunny to Daddy Yankee, their beats are based on dancehall. There is even a big case in the court system in the US right now about that. Because the original producers are saying, wait a minute, that's our idea. So reggaeton owes, owes us billions of dollars. So I don't think they're gonna win that case, but still dan dancehall has a rhythm that really makes the body move plus the whole dance for culture of the parties and uh it's kind of almost reminiscent like the greek thing you know you go out at two in the morning and it's all about the music and dancing and drinking when you were on stage and you know the acceptance speech as it were at the grammys and i can't remember the exact words but you thanked jamaica um and you thanked jamaicans for accepting you as yeah. one of their own um, how important has that been for you to feel so at home in Jamaica and to be part of that society and then to be able to achieve what you've achieved? Any foreigner who goes to another country and the locals embrace him should feel good. I was embraced from day one, even from the chicken farm days. But when I opened the first restaurant, my guest of honor was the prime minister at the time, Portia Simpson Miller, who was a prime minister of Jamaica at the time. 
and the U.S. ambassador, Pamela Bridgewater. So I had the two biggest names as my, and they introduced me. You know, once people saw my pictures with these people, suddenly I was important. Uh, and then they realized, wait, this guy is real because at my restaurant, anyone who walked in got a greeting from me. Every table I visited to ensure that their food was good, their drinks were good. So that Greek hospitality that I'm sure you're very familiar with became very strong in Jamaica. I had other restaurant owners who were my friends sending me their workers so I can teach them how to deal with customers. So I quickly became known and I was embraced and everybody started liking Alex or like many people called me, Mr. Opa. To this day, hey, Mr. Opa. <laughs> so I have to be very careful on my next business in Jamaica because when I had the farm, I was the chicken man. And when I had the restaurant, I was Mr. Opa. So I have to be careful what my next venture is. But um, it is very important that locals embrace a foreigner. Because at the end of the day, I will always be a foreigner. Like I think the Japanese have a word for it, Ronin. You know, you can become part of a society, but some way, somehow, you will always be an outsider. Because I can understand the patois they speak here, and I can kind of speak it, but it sounds very funny, a Greek with a Greek accent speaking patois. So I, but I understand it. But I will never be a Jamaican speaking patois. I will never dance dance hall like a Jamaican would dance dance hall, same way like a Jamaican couldn't dance a Zebekiko or a Hasapiko. So, but it's very important that you are embraced and you are loved and people care about what you do and they appreciate that you brought the Greek culture into the island and treated everyone with love and respect. And uh, sure, it's very important. I dedicated to the people of Jamaica. I got in trouble for that with my Greeks. How come you give you the... And I said, I promise the next one I'm going to dedicate to the, to the people of Greece. <laughs> Well, the, what my experience with the people of Greece is that it's an incredibly warm-hearted uh, country and people are very, very welcoming. There's an immense pride in the culture, the food, in Greece itself from, from Greeks. But one thing I think may have played into how you have developed over your life is that I think Greeks do look out into the wider world. If I feel of like Northern Europe, where I've lived in Britain or in Germany, um, there's not always a look on wider cultures um, in terms of other things can be interesting too. And I always feel that when I'm here, that the people I know are sort of looking outside Greece as well as inside Greece. So they're, they have their pride in themselves and they're looking elsewhere. What do you think, um, your parents and your childhood has really installed in you um, that has paid off in your life? For me, parents is my mom, Maria, and my grandmother, Mata. They raised me. Um, and around the household, the three of us, it was always a lot of love, um, a lot of freedom in terms of my mom was never the typical old school Greek parent from the 70s that uh, would impose things of what a child should do. Uh, it was more about that's what I think you should do. 
and trying to guide me that way, uh, which I guess I developed into this free-spirited person because of mom allowing me the room. Did it always work? No, she could have been tougher sometimes. She should have been tougher because I got away with things like at 15, I wanted a motorcycle. So I just went somewhere and I got the bike and I went home and said, mom, can we pay for this? <laughs> I actually rode the bike. A 15-year-old rode the bike home. She says, what's that? I said, oh, I just bought it. You just have to go and pay for it. <laughs> well, Alex, what 15-year-old does that? Especially in the 70s, in, in, in the late 70s in Greece. So, but it was always about love. It was about understanding, respect for other people. My mom never had it, and my grandma, they never had an attitude about being better or, you know, or worse than anybody else from an early age. Uh, there was no form of racism, even though in those days there was no racism in Greece because Greece was pretty much a white society. It was eventually that we had other uh, cultures moving to Greece and, and developing families there and stuff like that. But it was always like everybody's the same, everybody's equal, everybody deserves a chance. So it was a very balanced way of raising me. And, you know, to this day, mom and I are like very good friends. And mom is what, 89? And she still, she still travels by herself. I just want to say at the end, because I think it's really important when people like yourself who have had this life and have taken risks and have ended up really contributing to the culture that we benefit from. And I want to say thank you for that. And congratulations again on your Grammy. And as you said, it's the first one, the next one. I'm looking forward to the moment when, the you, when you thank Greeks. Yes. <laughs> thank you for having me. I appreciate it. I truly appreciate it. And it's nice to see the background of Athens right there. there yes. <laughs> our our beautiful concrete jungle. That's it. I love I love, I love Athens. Athens. <laughs> I love Athens. I, last time I was in Athens was two years ago. But I love Athens. Well, Athens loves you as well. Greece loves you. So thank you again, Alex Anteos. It's been brilliant to talk to you. And I wish you so much success in the future and so much more creativity that we can enjoy. Thank you, Alex. Thank you. Have a wonderful evening. Up there is an interview I recommend. Down there is where you can find all the podcast interviews. And here is where you can connect. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.